0: Join me for a talk about exploring new cultures through food, traveling via the kitchen and dinner table, and making healthy eating accessible, fun, and delicious for kids and adults everywhere. I chat with Amber Stott, the founder of Sacramento's Food Literacy Center, about understanding the impact of our food choices on our health, the environment, and the economy. Greetings from the Taranga Tribune, where the Senegalese concept of welcoming all people with openness and generosity guides our exploration of the world. I am Micah Reich sinclair world traveler, digital nomad, development worker, and world schooling parent of three young global citizens. Taranga Tribune travel talks bring the world to you so that you can explore, learn, and engage with fascinating people and places all around the globe from wherever you are. Today, I get to chat with an inspiring leader who makes a difference in her community by getting kids to love eating vegetables. Amber Stott is the founder of the Food Literacy Center in Sacramento, California. She authored the book Food Anatomy for Kids, and she's also a seasoned podcaster with her stellar podcast Raising Kale. Here to talk with me and the Taranga Tribune crowd today about the intersection of food, culture, and community service is Amber Stott. Welcome to Taronga Tribune Travel Talks, Amber. Thank you so much for having me, Micah. So you and I met many years ago when we worked together at a nonprofit organization called Freedom From Hunger, which developed small loans, savings accounts, and training in health and business for low-income women in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And what we were trying to do there was equip people, and especially women and their families, to overcome chronic hunger and poverty. And your signature enthusiasm and infectious determination were just as evident back then as they are still in your endeavors today. So I thought it might be appropriate to start by talking about what led you from attending women's group meetings in rural Bolivia to creating the food literacy center in California.
1: Sure, yeah. Um I mean I think there is a thread throughout my career. I, you know, went straight from Uh, college to working in nonprofits. And I've, I've done that ever since. And I think, you know, really, there's just um, a a burning in my belly to leave the world better than I found it. And I think there are a lot of things that motivate and inspire me to do this type of work. Um, My everybody always asks me you know, you you have a master's degree in African studies and women's studies. How did that get you to cooking food with kids? And to me, they're completely related and connected. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I absolutely believe in um, helping lift women up and, um, you know, women's rights and, and a fundamental women's right is health. And when you look at our broken food system, there is not a single aspect of it that doesn't cross over with issues of women's rights, women's health, people's health, health equity, mm-hmm. um, with labor rights and the environment and economic well being. I mean, there's just layer upon yeah. layer of all of the social justice issues that I care about um, that are wrapped up in our food system. And working with kids is a joyful way to open the door to get people to start to think about these deeper issues. So that's how it's all connected for me. And um, yeah, it all it all yeah. matters. And I think, you know, there are a lot of points on that chain that we can plug into and uh, start making a difference in our own communities and our own homes. And so that that's what it is for me.
0: Wow, Amber, that's such a, a great list of um, issues that are near and dear to my heart. And I think it's fascinating to see how each of us have been influenced by our experience with traveling and interacting with people of other cultures around the world. And as you and some of our listeners know, my own experience in development work, including at Freedom From Hunger with you, was a key reason that I got into world schooling, because the work that both you and I did um, really inspired me. I met young people in Thailand, in India, in Senegal, and elsewhere. W- who spoke about their dreams and also their constraints and really understanding what they wanted to achieve and and what they could envision for their lives and for their communities is what spurred me to pursue a career in working with women in Africa and Asia to help them start and grow small businesses. And after I had children, I continued that development work, but I also became really interested in opening my own children's eyes to the different ways people live, and I wanted to continue exploring and learning about the world with them, both from home and on the road. Of course, food is one of the prime ways to do that, so we incorporate healthy foods from around the world into our world-schooling lifestyle in a very intentional way. But I see the Food Literacy Center as taking that ambition to a whole new level by bringing healthy food and cultural awareness to a very large community of children and in one of the most culturally and ethnically diverse cities in the U.S. in Sacramento. Tell us more, Amber, about the Food Literacy Center and what you and your team do there.
1: Yeah. Uh, And I love that. I think it is so important. Food is such a uniter, a connector. Uh, It's just such a, a joyful way to learn about others. And, you know, particularly when it comes to little kids. Um, you know, we, so at Food Literacy Center, our mission is to inspire kids to eat their vegetables. So we go into Title I or low-income elementary schools uh, in South Sacramento and now also North Sacramento, and we teach cooking and nutrition hands-on. And um, so we're basically making recipes with kids, and we do really simple things because we're trying to you know, work with foods that they're familiar with and bring them on a journey. We don't start with a brown rice and kale salad. <laughs> we start with a peanut butter sandwich and actually sun butter because uh, of nut allergies. So we use um, sun butter and we swap out um, the jam or the jelly for fresh fruit slices and we talk about why. And then we go on a journey and we try to make over other um Foods, and we try to make them culturally relevant because you can definitely see the kids begin to connect when you bring out a fruit or vegetable or a food that they are familiar with, that their grandma has made for them, that their parents mm-hmm. made for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's all about getting them to feel positive. And feel connected. Uh, and then it's really neat because kids are are kind of into peer pressure. So if we bring out something like cactus and one child sees that it's their friend's favorite vegetable or that their friend says, oh, I love this. Uh-huh. Uh, then the kid who's never had it before gets really excited to try it because they think, oh, if my friend likes it, maybe yeah. I'll like it too. So it's just a really nice... Um, It's a nice avenue to bring kids together around something that's healthy, but bringing, you know, putting the joy ahead of the health. And that's really where they begin to become what we call food adventurers and, and get excited to explore these new foods.
0: Yeah. I Well, I think that's great. And it's um, really putting the joy first in any kind of learning is is the way that I found works best with my kids. And of course, as you say, food is a universal topic for all of us. And it, it can be a really exciting way to interact with our environment and also learn about cultures and traditions that are new. Um, when we were on the road as full-time traveling world schoolers, we made a point of learning about the foods where we were, shopping at local markets for locally common ingredients, and doing the best we could to prepare foods that locals ate. Um, In Costa Rica, for example, I learned from a family we stayed with for a few weeks how to prepare the national dish of rice and beans called gallo pinto. And so for the rest of our stay in Latin America, and to this day, we regularly make and enjoy gallo pinto. And when we were in India, we intentionally chose a South Indian vegetarian culture where we could immerse ourselves in Mysore. And we rented a home where we weren't even allowed to have any meat or meat products at all in the house. And so we hired a cook, although I knew vegetarian cooking, uh, I wanted to learn the local techniques and recipes. So I got to observe and learn from her and practice cooking with her. And I think oh, with, that sounds amazing. Yeah, I think that the the magic of discovering those new ingredients and um, being able to do that through a cultural exchange um, or having your kids participate in smelling those ingredients and tasting them and touching them is so rich.
1: Absolutely. One of our most popular recipes is a broccoli potato taco. And uh-huh. we were teaching a group of kids at uh, Pacific Elementary And there were some fifth and sixth graders and they were kind of razzing me and (laughs) they were saying, you know, um, they're talking about, you know, the the Nopales in their grandma's backyard and. Um, how they grew up eating cactus tacos, and they sort of double-dog dared me that I couldn't make a broccoli taco (laughs) taste good. And so we had a contest. We uh, created recipes for a cactus taco and then a broccoli taco, and then we had the kids make them. And then uh, other students joined, and they had a little taco party, and then they voted on their favorite taco, and the broccoli potato taco won, and to this day uh, (laughs) – Yeah, it was a lot
0: of fun. Today- you have bragging rights to this day with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: the, that was fun. The kids really got into it, and uh, yeah. So to this day, it's it's uh, one of the recipes in our curriculum, and um, and and kids really enjoy it and they love it, and that's you know just just part of uh, again that cultural relevancy and having them explore foods that are familiar to them, maybe switching out a thing or two, like they probably had potatoes in a taco before, but not broccoli. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: That's excellent. So one of the things that I really appreciate about your approach is the way you do bring in foods from around the world. And you use that, I think, both to honor a diversity of cultures and traditions, and also to open the kids' eyes to new foods and recipes they might enjoy. Um, and because it's delicious, and, be- and, <laughs> first and foremost because it's delicious and joyous. <laughs> I saw on your blog also you shared um, you share a lot of kid friendly recipes, and one of them was for Afghan shornakud. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. Um, it's a simple recipe that lets kids in on a popular thing to eat in Afghanistan.
1: Yeah. You know, there's been a big influx of Afghan refugees here in the Sacramento region. Mm -hmm. And so we realized that as a staff, we didn't have any recipes and that we weren't necessarily that familiar with Afghan culture and cuisine. And so we actually hired a local caterer who uh, is Afghan refugee. And we had her develop some recipes with us. And then come in and train our staff. And so she did a whole uh, cultural, like a lecture. Um, She came in and she wore sort of her traditional dress and talked to us about, you know, what the different parts of her attire were. And then we also did that training in partnership with our um, local school lunch program, Uh because there was a particular school where they were making halal lunches, but the kids didn't trust it and still weren't eating it. And so um, we talked to her about some of that, like how can we make sure that the kids trust the food and are participating? And yeah. And so she taught us a couple of, um, quick and easy recipes that are quite uh, common throughout Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's been really fun for the staff to learn that and then to bring that back into the schools. Uh, And so at this particular school where there was a larger percentage of Afghan refugee kids, um, we did over the holiday season, uh, we always do a kids' farmer's market where we send kids home with fresh fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And at that one, we also – had all the ingredients to make a bolani which is a yeah. super tasty uh afghan recipe and we sent that home with all the kids too so That's we're, we're trying to continue our own learning um and just keep expanding so yeah yes, it's, it's a it's a fun fun and delicious way to learn about other folks cultures and then also bring kids in that maybe are you know in a new place and a little bit nervous and hesitant Mm -hmm. to participate.
0: Right. What a phenomenal way to contribute to the community in both directions with, as you say, the immigrants coming in and feeling maybe a little more at home because they recognize something. And then also the education that it gives other kids who might not have had exposure to Afghan culture and, and food who get to learn about it. And then maybe it opens a door to friendships,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's the
0: goal. That's, that's <laughs> phenomenal. Well, I had the great privilege of getting to visit you at your new headquarters, um, for which your grand opening takes place on September first. And I'd, I'd like to have you tell us about this new space and what goes on there from the kitchen areas to the community garden and all of the classes and activities.
1: Yeah, it's a big undertaking. It has taken seven years to get to this point. Um, but it's a, it's a major project. We have partnership with the city of Sacramento, as well as Sacramento City Unified School District. Um, and essentially it's, it's the school district's land, 2.5 acres. Mm-hmm. And then they built, they own and built, uh, with their own money, uh, 4,500 square foot zero net energy facility. Which is essentially now our headquarters. Um, And it has a commercial kitchen where we continue all the existing programs that we have delivered throughout the last decade. And that's where we take our show on the road and we show up in elementary schools with our our cooking and nutrition classes. So we have a big commercial kitchen to prep and prepare for those classes. It has a Mm walk-in fridge, which we never had before, and dry storage. It's quite beautiful. And then we also now have a brand new cooking classroom which we've never had, um, where kids can come across the street from the neighboring elementary school, Leotata Floyd, Mm -hmm. and also from public housing across the street, and they can attend a cooking class right in our facility. We have a beautiful cooking classroom with uh, induction stovetops and ovens, um, and essentially we can... Um, teach about 30 kids in a cooking class from that space. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
1: there's a whole acre in the back uh, where we will be building student gardens uh, and a student farm. We hope to have animals and plant and grow lots of food. Uh, And that has an easement with the city of Sacramento and is actually a city park. Mm -hmm. And then there's another half acre in the front Mm -hmm. that is also a community garden for local residents that also is an easement with the city of Sacramento as a park. So it's a it's a big project with a lot of important partnerships, and I think it speaks to both the city and the school districts' commitment to improving health through these creative, hands-on types of learning. So we're really excited to be the operator of the project, and. Um, we got to help design it and we'll get to open and start our classes uh, in just a few weeks and sky's mm-hmm. really the limit from there. So it's what gonna a be a journey. Yeah.
0: Well, it's also it's also a testament to the incredible work you've been doing for the past decade. Um, I'm sure that the school district can see the potential for outreach to kids in in their area and also the community.
1: Yeah, thank you. I I appreciate that. Yeah,
0: um, and also you you spoke briefly about the teaching kitchen area, and I had the chance to visit, and it was just amazing to see the little kitchen areas. What four or five of them with all of the counters and drawers and the working induction stoves that you mentioned and ovens, but all at child level.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a it's adorable.
0: Yeah, and we have had kids
1: in there. Uh, we we piloted some summer school programs and, you know, they just don't have anything like that in their schools. And so, uh, and they really love food literacy is one of the favorite programs Mm -hmm. that is offered in this school district. We, we get that feedback often. Mm -hmm. Um, I think kids just really like learning hands-on like that, you know, difficult subjects like math and science. um, You know, you put them on pieces of paper and in lectures and it's really complicated stuff, but you hand a kid a recipe and say, okay, we're making an emulsion. Uh It's a fancy word for a salad dressing. And suddenly (laughs) they're like, oh cool, what's this? And this new fancy word I get to learn. You know, it's it takes the intimidation out of science and math. And Mm -hmm. so the information tends to stick.
0: Yeah, well, and it's very hands-on, which I want to get back to in just a minute. But one component of the food literacy program, as I understand it, is also the environment, which is increasingly important in a world where climate change is impacting the food supply and the Central Valley of California, where Sacramento is located, is seeing growing impacts from a historic drought right now. Tell us about how the Food Literacy Center addresses environmental issues or how do you incorporate that aspect into what you do? Yeah.
1: So back to cactus. Uh, we actually wrote a lesson uh, back during the last drought um, about drought so that we can help kids understand what's happening and then also relate it to the foods that they eat. And so we have a recipe for cactus salsa mm-hmm. and we talk about um, how different plants um need more water than others. And some of them don't need much water at all and are really tasty and good for us. And so uh, we make a cactus salsa and we talk about that. And then we also do other things, um, particularly now that we'll have the garden, you know, we'll be able to have compost lessons. We have lessons on bees and we talk about the importance of pollination. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's just so many fun, Again, fun, sciencey, hands-on. We we're even going to be installing a weather station. Ah. Uh, so lots of ways for kids to think about these things in small, manageable bites. And the definition of food literacy is understanding the impact of our food choices on health, environment, and economy, and understanding mm-hmm. that these are not equitably experienced.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, yeah. So our curriculum then tries to cover health environment and economy.
0: So important. And luckily, you also have a book that you wrote for kids and families to engage in these sorts of activities from home. And the title, again, is Food Anatomy Activities for Kids, Fun, Hands-On Learning. And I was excited when it came out last year because I have a few food enthusiast kids myself. (laughs) And um, we don't have the good fortune of being able to enroll them in the Food Literacy Center. So your book, I found, had really a delightful combination of colorful drawings and diagrams and fascinating cultural and scientific tidbits about the foods we grow and experiments as well as recipes for kids and their caregivers to try out in their own kitchens. And you were just talking about the cactus salsa. And when we were in Arizona just a couple of weeks ago, my son who loves cooking and has read your book was strangely very keen on everything cactus and wanted us to take <sighs> pictures with of him everywhere where there was a cactus and insisted on bringing some cactus home one day to his grandma's house to cut it open and try it. Oh, that's awesome. So why don't you tell us about your book and maybe share one of your favorite activities in it?
1: Sure. Um, So the book is something that we did really, you know, during the pandemic, we made all of our curriculum free and available online. We did uh, videos of all of our recipes so folks could follow along with us at home. And then uh, and then we sat down and and I say we because um, I wrote the chapters and several of the activities, but my entire staff helped with um, the recipes and activities in the book. So we sort of divided those up. uh, And you never hear about the contributors uh, on books like this, but it does take a village to to get something like this out. Uh And so it was a lot of fun. And we tried to, you know, take kids on a journey through the history of food, and then also through the like a global journey as well. So, you know, the history of food is is a global story. And so we talk about, you know, the history of various plants and um, nomads and hunter gatherers. And then for every chapter, you have the opportunity as a kid to then practice what you've been learning about Mm -hmm. by doing a hands-on science activity that's Mm food-based. So they're not all recipes. Some of them are more like, uh, for example, one of them is a Oaxacan hot chocolate recipe, um, but we are talking about melting chocolate. And so we have chocolate chips that are whole or pieces of chocolate that have been crushed. And then we add hot water and a little cinnamon and see which of those melts the fastest. Uh Uh, For example, um, we talk about the history of preserving foods with salt and we go all the way back to China where the first preserved egg yolk was, Mm -hmm. uh, was I guess, Created. And that one's really fun. You essentially bury egg yolks in salt uh-huh. and then you put them in your fridge uh, for several days. And then you uh, lightly, uh, well, after you take them out of the salt, you lightly cook them on a very low and slow heat in your toaster oven. Uh-huh. And you get this amazing golden ball of tastiness it uh-huh. ends up actually tasting almost like a cheese uh-huh. and you grate it over the top of um like i like to put it on top of avocado for example wow. it's super tasty uh so oh, we have yeah, all kinds yeah. of fun things like that we dehydrate um fruit and we talk about um the first ice cream, which also was from China and was like buried underground with like pine sap, wow. does not sound delicious, but we <laughs> we take that story to Italy and we make a, a gelato that you can make in a Ziploc bag, for example. So That's we try great. to do these really simple things to help kids learn about the history of food and the cultures uh, around the world where these foods have been discovered. So yeah, it's a, a really fun book. Um, and we definitely get a lot of feedback that that kids are able to pick it up and kind of use it on their own, which is fantastic. Yeah,
0: it's great. And so speaking of um, education techniques, I feel like I can see a little bit of our shared freedom from hunger training and experience in your book in that you find really ingenious ways to make the topics relevant to kids, to meet kids where they're at, to bring in new information, and then, as you've just pointed out, to give them an exciting way to apply the new knowledge.
1: Absolutely. so important to keep things simple and to make them approachable. You know, when I was starting Food Literacy Center, the food movement was really in its infancy and there was a lot of unnecessary shaming and blaming it was Mm. really affluent uh it wasn't even a movement at the time it was like an affluent cool thing to do to like go to farmers markets and Mm
0: -hmm.
1: buy organic and um I felt like it was closed off to many people because there was this, well, if it's not kale, it's not good enough. And yeah. shaming iceberg lettuce, uh-huh. you know, and, um, and again, I've only ever worked in nonprofits. And, you know, so I would hear things from, from women um, saying women in the nonprofits, women that we were serving who were, you know, uh, trying to, find jobs and houses, um, during the last recession that, you know, had lost their jobs. And, um, of course they cared about healthy eating because if you can't eat well, if you get sick often, you lose your job and then you lose your house. And so these things matter to everyone. And uh, I just remember women who had never had kale before, again, that, you know, you don't start with the brown rice and kale salad, Mm -hmm. who... Had grown up eating iceberg lettuce, but they they felt shamed, like they should stop eating it because they had read that it wasn't as good for you as kale, and you know kale was the pin- pinnacle of all health. And I was like, well, there's there's nothing wrong with iceberg lettuce. If that's the gateway vegetable for you, eat iceberg lettuce. Like if you don't like kale you don't have to eat it. Or or maybe try putting a little kale in with your iceberg lettuce and see if you like that any better. But if you don't like kale, that's totally fine. And so yeah. I just really wanted to make uh, a nonprofit where healthy eating was approachable, mm-hmm. practical, and, and it, very importantly, fun. You know, there was a lot of also like, dun, 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 like the fungicide in the orange juice and pink slime in the meat (laughs) and if you're trying to feed a family and everything you hear about is that your food's gonna harm you at some point you just have to tune it out because at the end of the day you have to eat right and so I just really wanted to take all that away and start with some positivity some you know you can do it like, okay. hey, here's a thing you can do. It's so simple. You can be successful right. and and get folks at the entry point of the journey. Um, and so that was really a big impetus uh, when I was starting the nonprofit is to is to do just that. And I think, um, and absolutely, I think not just freedom, freedom from hunger, but all of the nonprofits where I've worked, you know, that is is sort of the the hope of the work, right. Is Mm -hmm. that you are meeting people where they're at and, um, and, you know, uh, being as authentic with them as you can and, uh, you know, empowering them and showing them where they're doing things that are already the right way of doing things Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, uh, kind of starting at the far end of the, of the,
0: spectrum so right right building on what they already know and making it accessible yeah yep yeah i have to wonder though too if um this approach were brought to some of the other subjects in school if kids might get as excited about math and english and literature and science as they do about food literacy yeah and and we even
1: notice and um literacy itself, right? Uh, We have a lot of students who can't read, Uh, not only because they're tiny, they're, you know, we (laughs) at kindergarten, um, but also because maybe English is a second language. uh, Maybe they're not at reading at grade level. And, you know, we come in with a recipe, not a book, Mm -hmm. and we say, okay, find cilantro uh, on the recipe. Mm -hmm. You know, um, now find whatever ingredient we're, you know, can somebody read the first uh, instruction? And right. so it's, it ends up being a really nice, simple, quick entry place. So we we watch the kids um, work on literacy and we've actually translated all of our recipes into Hmong, Spanish, and Farsi. And you'll um, see the kids turn the page over and use the Spanish side, for example, mm-hmm. uh, rather than the English side. And so, you know, these things are really important too, and and I do think um, for the first time now that we have this cooking school, we're going to be actually delivering our curriculum during the school day. So it will be interesting for us for the first time to see how that affects academics, because up until now we've been in the after school space. Well,
0: I think use that idea of using food as a theme to build other skills is really compelling. And one of the things we've been trying to do in our family since we put down some roots after world schooling for many years, we've tried to continue exploring as a family, but from a home base. And especially during the pandemic, when we couldn't move around at all, one of the things that we've really enjoyed is exploring the world from our dinner table. Um, And So, for example, though we haven't had the opportunity yet to visit Indonesia, I spent several months learning about Indonesian recipes and cooking techniques and bringing home exotic ingredients that I could scour from around town so that the kids could discover them. And then we would cook sometimes together and sometimes I would just cook, but I try to also bring other things to the table with that whether it's relevant music or documentaries or feature films that could be of interest to them so that it becomes a way to deepen our understanding of places. Maybe we'll get to visit someday and they get to engage in analyzing the food and thinking about what would make it better or what we should do next time. Um, and ultimately they, they ended up the kids wanted to put together an Indonesian meal and have, have some friends over and, and, make it like an Indonesian restaurant event. Mm -hmm. So I really like the way you honor that diversity and that action-oriented, hands-on learning approach and use food as a theme. So before we wrap up, I have one last question for you. We all know that convincing kids to try new foods can be a challenge. And you and your team at the Food Literacy Center seem to have broken the code would you mind sharing with us just a couple of your tips for getting kids to approach new and healthy foods with an open mind?
1: Yeah. So we have um, what we call our broccoli boundaries and radish routines, which is a methodology that we've developed over the years, um, just from (laughs) noticing what's worked and hasn't worked and what repeatedly works. And so Uh, The broccoli boundaries are all about setting up the right environment for success. And so they are different rules, right? Uh, So for example, um, one of them is uh, Mm. eat a fruit or vegetable with every snack and meal. Uh, Another Uh one is don't yuck my yum. So this is actually something that one of our kids said to us and we picked up on and now it's core to our our curriculum. And basically, it's, you know, you don't want to say "ew" or gross to something because it might be your neighbor's Mm -hmm. very favorite thing and we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Mm -hmm. And uh, elementary Uh kids in particular really respond to that. And so... They, When they see a new fruit or vegetable, a lot of kids' immediate reaction is to say, ew, and gross, there's mm-hmm. something we've done culturally to, to make kids do that, right? Uh, but by having this rule of don't yuck my yum, uh-huh. they, they, they think twice. And what it actually does is it changes their attitude to being open and excited and interested to see what the new fruit or vegetable mm-hmm. might be. So that's a a broccoli boundary. And then a radish routine is that we will practice and repeat that behavior um, to Mm -hmm. reinforce it and hopefully turn it into a habit. Uh, And so, for example, one of the things we do is we bring in a new fruit or vegetable every week for the kids to taste. Um, And so what I encourage for families to do at home And people have told me they do this and they really enjoy it is um, if you can, uh, each week, have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to bring your kids with you to the market and have them choose just one new fruit or vegetable. And the the goal of it just being one is that if you do too many, it's going to be overwhelming Uh and it's going to end up rotting in the back of the fridge because you won't get to it. But if you do Mm -hmm. one... It's a, it's a manageable, um, it's, it's manageable. And the expectation is, okay, this one new fruit or vegetable, we're going to learn how to either cook it or how to eat it raw mm-hmm. or what to use it in, in a recipe. Uh, and that's our goal for the week. And by the end of the year, hopefully mm-hmm. you'll have discovered some new favorites, and likely you'll have established the habit of being food adventurers, tasting and trying new fruits and vegetables, and, and then learning how to incorporate those in a really practical way into your regular
0: diet. Brilliant. Those are some great tips. I think, with the new school year getting underway in many places right now, our listeners could use some of those tips and maybe find a lot of great fodder on your website and in your book for after school and weekend activities that maintain the spirit of summer vacation adventures and fun exploration, even from home in the kitchen during the school year.
1: Yeah. Check out our website. It's foodliteracycenter.org. Uh, you can get all the recipes, the curriculum. Uh, you can find the book there. Um, also, these broccoli boundaries and radish routines are, are on the website too.
0: Great. And what else can we do to support the Food Literacy Center? Your programs and community are so inspiring and the movement that you've gotten up and running in Sacramento around healthy, local and culturally inclusive food for kids is so compelling. Are there other actions that people can take to help support and promote what you're doing? Yeah,
1: thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Obviously, we can always use donations. Uh, Currently, all of our programs are provided for free. Uh, The school district does not pay us. Mm -hmm. So we rely on donations from the community to make these programs happen for our kids. Um, There's a donate button on that website. Uh, And then also Mm -hmm. just, you know, spread the word, Um, let folks know. And, you know, we need more than just Food Literacy Center out there doing this good work.
0: Yeah, well, Thank you so much for joining me for this talk, Amber. Yeah. I've been continually inspired by the work you're doing, and I'm excited to watch the progress of the new food school and your community garden in the coming weeks and months.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Micah. I appreciate your time, and thanks for sharing our message.
0: To our Taranga Tribune audience, thank you very much for tuning in to the Travel Talk today. I hope that this episode has given you new food for thought in your discovery and appreciation of the world in raising global citizens and giving back to our communities. I encourage you to visit the Food Literacy Center online at www.foodliteracycenter.org, where you can read Amber's blog and listen to her Raising Kale podcast and find out more about healthy eating for inner city kids and all of us. Please also subscribe to the Taronga Tribune and to the Travel Talks podcast for more travel and world schooling inspiration.